You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. My name is Margot Wade Cooney, and about 12 years ago, I heard the Lord calling my name. I'm so grateful for that because I am definitely a sinner in need of a Savior. Um, I'm excited today to share with you all my enthusiasm about the Old Testament. Um, I love the Old Testament because we get a really honest portrait of the family that we come from. Um, It really is a humbling honor and privilege to belong to such an incredible family tree. Um, I'm not just talking about being a member of the Advent. Um, But uh, we as children of Israel, um, that's my friend Laura, she helped me prepare. Shout out to her. Um, So we as children, chosen children of Israel, we are the fulfillments of the promises of Abraham in Genesis 15. So when we read or pray, Father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we are also invited to say, and the God of you and me. Um, And I just like to think of God himself promising an old, old man and his old, old, old barren wife one fateful night in the desert. Look at all those stars. Your offsprings will number them. And here we are today, like we are talking about how the Lord's word came true. Um, I just think that's incredible because not what they must have been seeing, but just like how incredible because of how hard that would have been knowing their real life circumstances. Um, But today we're going to talk about another barren woman that helped pave the road to Jesus Christ. Um, Secondly, I'm also excited to be able to talk to you all about women in the Old Testament, because I think in the 21st century, with seasoned agnostics and atheists alike, it's a really easy punch to say, well, I don't like how the Bible treats women, um, among other things, and they kind of just like close up shop and end the conversation there. But um, spiritually speaking, Scripture illuminates the role of women, and culturally and historically, the New Testament, um, You know, the New Testament really offers a countercultural narrative to how women, children, slaves, and Gentiles should be treated. So from Genesis to Revelation, women play heavily into God's plan of redemption. Um, Does anyone want to, so I don't have to talk the whole time and get sick, can anyone tell me a woman in the Bible that would fit into God's plan of redemption? I mean, thank you. That's a really good one. I like that one. Anyone else? Absolutely. And she came before First and Second Samuel, what we're talking about. Um, so yeah, so it should be no surprise when I say that Satan hates women, because Satan hates life. And Satan, because women have the ability to carry life, he's going to come after you. Um, you play such a part in advancing the kingdom. Um, but don't worry. <laughs> he hates you too. A lot. A lot. Um, Yeah, and don't let that scare you, too, because Jesus loves you way more than Satan hates you, and nothing is going to thwart the deepest desire to glorify and worship the Lord. Um, So, if I were to make a Marvel franchise movie based off of a book in the Bible, it would definitely be 1st and 2nd Samuel, because this is going to offer you prequels, sequels, spinoffs, like, definitely some fan fiction, okay? Because this book is all about David, and it's often called the Book of David. And with David, I mean, you get the introduction of the Ark of the Covenant. You get to listen to a story about an unfaithful man, like an unfaithful husband, but a faithful man. He's like outrunning himself and Saul and his own son. But you're not going to get that man without without Samuel, without a faithful prophet, priest, and judge. 
um, you know, because greater David's greater son, Christ, is coming in, and he can't do that without David paving the way into his lineage. Um, so, yeah, and you all know what I'm talking about. When Christ can't fulfill that prophecy, that opens in the New Testament with the book of Matthew. But, um, well, because I've mentioned that, let me, let me go back to, like, the beginning of time. We've already spoken about Abraham and the desert. So, quickly, Moses leads the new children of Israel into the woods, into the wilderness. Joshua leads them into the promised land. And then in the promised land, they get new rules and um, new consequences. And it's like when we go off to college after we left our parents' home and we gain the freshmen like 15,000 pounds of bondage around our neck. That's exactly what happens when the uh, children of Israel go into the promised land. We do exactly what we say we're not going to do, and God does exactly what he says he's going to do. So when we find ourselves in this time of the judges, there are smaller and smaller instances of deliverance, okay? And then that also leads to just smaller and smaller chances that the word of the Lord can be spoken in because their ears are becoming deaf and their hearts are becoming hardened. Um, And we're no longer behaving or looking like the chosen children of Israel. We look like every other pagan country that we have surrounded ourselves in. And the difference with us only is we don't have a king. Um, So to say that life is bleak and dark and seems hopeless is pretty accurate. Um, First First Samuel 3 tells us that the word of the Lord was rare and there were no frequent visions. I mean, I wish I could dim the lights so you could know just how it must have felt to these people, just knowing just such bleakness. Um, and the Old Testament ends with about 400 years of silence. So that's like the lights going off. But like, not really, because like Christ and his army are coming, but it's in a distance. And so like, you can slowly hear the whisperings. But um, so the New Testament opens, like I said, with Matthew placing Christ as David's heir. Um, I like to imagine how bright that star must have been to those shepherds in the field. You know, just how um, illuminating that baby in a manger must have felt and how those um, wise men from Babylon came in. Like, that star must have been just so bright for them. And then I like to think that when Christ first spoke in the temple at 13, like, someone would have been like, it's here. Something's happening. But back to Samuel. Okay. Bleak times, spiritual darkness, oppressive culture, despised women. We are going to start this happy tale about Hannah. Um, I want to use three main points as a shout out to every preacher and teacher of a five paragraph essay um, to make it easier for your notes to remember. We're going to talk about Hannah's reaction, her response, and her relationship. Um, I'm going to spend the most time on the first point and on the first chapter because of the emphasis of thanks comes before the giving. Um, Hannah thanks God before he gives her what she wants. Um, her response is being faithful during, this is my prop, (laughs) Owen, eight weeks old. Um, and then we're going to look at Samuel two with Hannah's song. And this is her reaction of gratitude and her prayer positions the Lord as being the ultimate provision, not just the provider, which is pretty revolutionary to think about. And then finally in Samuel three, we're going to, and I'm going to speak the least to this part is Hannah's relationship with Samuel. I want you to leave thinking about what you're going to impart with your children, but more importantly, how the Lord's going to empower them, um, because God doesn't have grandchildren. Okay, so I'm going to read 1 Samuel 1, 3 through 11, 18 through 20. Um, 
Now that this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hotni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all of her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Before Hannah wept, uh, therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting at the seat besides the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to you, the Lord, all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. And then she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. And the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked him, asked for him from the Lord. Um, okay. This is the first book of the Bible that uses the term Lord of hosts um, to describe the sovereign character of God. And that's because he commands everything. And we're about to see just how much we mean by everything. Um, we worship a God in body, mind, and spirit that's in charge of an army and not just any army. It's the advancement in God's army that's gonna cover the whole world, and that includes you in it. Um, this is an, an important theology to have, um, thinking of God as an army of like vastness and resources and strength, because in the next few hundred years, God's chosen children are gonna be exiled, um, exiles almost annihilated and enslaved. Um, at this time, deities are just sovereign over certain areas, so that's like having a god of Mountain Brook and of Homewood and Vestavia, and here comes the king of the universe just marching through with his army of heavenly hosts, because that's what that means. And he's coming for absolutely everyone and everything. Um, he is coming to squash the faces of darkness, and he is going to kick in the gates of hell. That's what this god is going to do for us. And yet, this powerful king, this god of heavenly hosts, is personally concerned with Hannah, this worthless woman, which is her words, not mine, um, in a small whatever town and her deep sorrow. So she is joining the ranks of Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel, and ultimately Elizabeth and Mary, um, who are women who find themselves unexpectedly pregnant through the miraculous intervention of the Lord. Um, God is announcing and proclaiming his kingdom through these culturally despised women that we're all huddling around right now to learn about. This is how he does his finest work. So as Tim Keller says, the life of David begins with a woman radically changing her life through prayer, which really means that like King David's spiritual development started with one of his good friend's moms, which is a huge encouragement when we speak Jesus into the life of our friend's children. Um, but it does not take a biblical scholar to understand that Hannah is suffering 
And right off the bat, we know that she is suffering um, because things are not how they should be. She is in a polygamous marriage. I mean, let's just get that out of the way. Um, she is constantly having to watch her other be with another. And that has got to just be absolute and constant devastation. Um, so then you have to think of your marriage as your God is off with someone else. I mean, that's just, that's spiritually demeaning and uh, defeating. And then inside the home, there's just this constant fighting where there should be unity. I mean, this is a terrible living situation. And then on top of that, a scripture says she has no children. So she had nothing to sit back on. She had no future. Um, and while Elkanah does love her so much, um, he is emotionally distant to her pain and her suffering. He tries to turn her pain into his pride and can't sit with her in her own stuff. But Peninnah wants her to sit in her pain and does a really good job year by year reminding her of how Peninnah is growing and Hannah is not. Um, again, a scripture said, and Hannah had no children. Um, but I don't want to look at the scripture as a, an infertile woman because then I would be no better than Peninnah and the culture itself. I, um, I want to look at the deeper spiritual underpinnings of this. I want you to not just see the good message that the Lord hears Hannah and ultimately answers her, but more importantly, I want you to hear the good word. Um, I want y'all to all look at this as a person who is faced with the futility of this world. Um, so this allows both men and women to glean from Hannah's struggle. Um, since sin entered the world in Genesis 3, things fall apart and do not work how they are supposed to. And historically and culturally speaking, having no children means death. Um, Hannah is a dead woman walking, okay? Um, you will not have secure financial standings. You will have no secure future and that no one's going to take care of you. And you cannot inherit land without your children. You will have no place in the marketplace. Um, you also won't have, as Tim Keller describes, like arms full of literal hugs and kisses. Um, and spiritually speaking, you will not be able to participate in the physical role of bearing the Messiah. Um, and that's what everyone in the Old Testament is looking for. They are looking for the Messiah, and that is how the Messiah is going to come into the world. Um, so, it, you know, barren Jewish women in the Old Testament do have a larger burden to carry because they know this. Um, but Ultimately, guys, Hannah's deepest concern is this. If there is a God, can he bear my barrenness? Can he take away my reproach and sin? And if there is a sovereign God, why is he not providing for me? What is my hope if not in this world? And when she asks for favor, she's not asking to be seen above everyone else. She's asking to be seen as everyone else. And when she asks this, she is asking the Lord to know her in such a way and to know the Lord that he is capable of filling every need in such radical abundance and to do the absolute miraculous. She's asking the Lord to raise her from the dead. Um, it's also important to note that the barrenness is not placed on Hannah and her own um, inadequacy. Scripture makes sure to twice say that because the Lord closed her womb, okay? Because the Lord closed her womb. The Lord can handle that claim. You wouldn't pay attention to this woman if she weren't barren. This 4,000-year-old birth announcement and prayer would not exist if Hannah found herself into her own kingdom of her own making and timing. Again, the Lord does his best work in the empty, the desolate, and the barren, and he's going to turn this into an upside-down kingdom. Um, 
and it's going to be an eternal kingdom where, et, where there is no need because every want is filled. Um, so what the Lord is saying with Hannah's situation is watch this. Watch this. I'm about to do something. Um, but where we do find Hannah is that she's made her infertility her own and she's holding on to it. But to Hannah's credit, there are two other voices going on and she's not responding to either of them. The first voice is Peninnah and that's the culture. That's the culture saying, if you don't have this, you're nothing. You know, like a, like a silly example is like, if I can fit into these high-waisted flood jeans, I'm gonna be a cool mom, okay? That's a simple one, but there's a deeper one that's also like, well, if I don't drive this car and my kid doesn't go to this school and I don't go to that country club and we don't have this kind of house, then I'm not gonna belong in the place I live, okay? So she's listening to that voice that's telling her she has no children, she has no future. And then there's this other voice and it's the voice of Elkanah, her husband, who's saying, because you have this, you don't need that. And that's dangerous as well because you think of it as like, well, I've built my own company from the ground up. I don't need anyone's help. But deeper than that is, I eat well, I exercise a lot, um, I'm a good person, I do good works. What do I need to be saved from? So she has these two voices telling her what she needs. And the first time we hear uh, Hannah say anything is when it says, and Hannah rose, which means literally she put her foot down and stood up. Um, but I also want you to think about what your own cultural Peninnas are and what your personal Elkanas are because I really think that like we can look at these texts and I can tell you all about it But I really want this text to penetrate your heart in a way that when you leave today Hannah's what Hannah's gone through is still going to change how you walk out of it um, I also want you to think about What are you listening to that you're not willing to let go of for the Lord to use? Because I think that's more important thinking about what are you willing to put away and we're gonna find what Hannah is willing to put away um, so we find Hannah deeply pouring herself out, and she is doing what Cameron Cole calls the, the carpet fiber in the teeth. Like, she is weeping, weeping, weeping. And she is doing this so well that the priest is like, you're drunk, go home. Like, do we pray like that? I, I definitely don't always <laughs> do that. But um, her petition is granted by the priest and God, and she goes home. And scripture says, and in due time, she's pregnant. And I like this way of phrasing time because I feel like year by year and year by year kind of creates this like hopelessness and this kind of carelessness in time where when it says in due time, it's letting us know that God's not just sovereign over people and place, but also time. So in due time, in the Lord's timing, this happened. Um, and so we see in Hannah's response that the thanks comes before the giving. She is not relying on his yes to her petitions. She's relying on him to be him. And she's no longer relying on her child. She is yearning for God's child and promises to give her only son for service to the church and in doing so will save the children of Israel from sin. And so years from then and now, we will all be relying on the son of God to save us from our own sin. Um, and she says, and it's not, I didn't say this, but her prayer, after she finds she's pregnant, she says this, For this child I prayed, and the Lord granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he is, lives, he is lent to the Lord. Um, 
So I'm about to read a reaction of Thanksgiving sung by a woman who just gave her three to five year old to a man in the temple and released her child to someone else. And like, even if that were Craig Smalley, I would still have a hard time just like giving my children and walking away. Um, she does not get her place in the marketplace, okay? She does not get her future securities in her child. She um, does not get the affections of her child and like, what's worth more than tiny little feet running to you? Um, but Hannah knows, Hannah knows what is worth more than that. Um, Hannah finally gets what she wanted because the Lord gave her what she really needed and that was himself. That's what she got out of that. Um, the Lord is the provision, not just the provider. Um, so if the Lord says, if the Lord is who he says he is, then why are we not trusting our children to the Lord? You know, he's the ultimate father. Um, why can't, personally, why can't I trust him to be the better parent? Um, and so I'm going to read her prayer. Um, and just know that this woman just gave up her child to the Lord. So I want you to imagine your child at three years old. I mean, I cried when I put my kid in Macaulay for a day camp. And this, this woman is, she is giving him to the Lord. And Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not the arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings the low and exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. To, um, to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. Um, so now that you all know the context of which that was sung, um, I, interesting, like when she says, my enemies, my mouth derives my enemies, I would have started listing everyone <laughs> at that point. <laughs> you know, like I'm pretty petty like that. But um, I really think that like, she realizes that those are small and minor inconveniences in comparison to the vastness of the Lord and that um, the smallness of the earth is no longer our business. It is his. Um, and that prayer does change everything. Um, these 10 lines of prayers are the songs that we're going to sing at the final feast. Um, only someone who has looked upon the face of God could say these spiritual truths. Um, and these are the same truths of uh, theology that King David's going to sing in 2 Samuel 2, and ultimately Mary is going to base her groundwork of her thanksgiving. Again, another woman who finds herself unexpectedly pre pregnant that's going to help God's road to redemption to Jesus Christ. Um, in the prayer also, it talks about the rise and falls of kingdoms and the, you know, the comparisons of the highs and lows. And again, it we can say it's foreshadowing the rise and the fall of Saul and the rise and fall of David, but ultimately what it's talking about is that this world and what you make of it will fail you, but Christ will not, or God will not, Christ will not either. Um, the Lord is committed to his word before he's even spoken it. I think we should remember that. 
And then um, finally, like I said, I was not going to dwell on this part long because this is the part where I want you to do the homework and I can sit down. But um, we're going to talk about when the Lord calls Samuel. Um, So just really quickly, guys. Um, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no frequent vision. Um, Samuel was sleeping one night, and the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. And ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call you. Go lay down again. So he went and laid down. The Lord called again, Samuel, and Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call you, my son. (laughs) This just sounded like my last night. Um, (laughs) Now Samuel did not know the Lord yet, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And Eli perceived the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lay down, and if he calls you again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as all the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. And the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Um, But what Samuel's first task is, he's got to go to Eli and be like, you haven't been a good father and your children are about to die because they've been so terrible and you're going to die right after that. So that was Samuel's first task in the Lord um, as it it goes. But but the reason I even bring this up is because I want to say like, well, where did Samuel earn earn and yearn and learn, there we go, this eagerness to serve the Lord? If he's in a time with no, like very rare words and no frequent visions, how would he know such faithfulness? And I like to think it's from his mom. His mom eagerly served the Lord, and the first thing she was called to do is an incredibly difficult task of giving her son up. Um, so what I want to end with is I want you to think about um, how you're going to give your child up to the Lord. Ultimately, we are glorified babysitters, that we are going to give it back to the rightful parent when they come home, and that we can just go home and rest. Um, But that's what we are called to do, and that we all struggle to do as well. Um, So I want you to think about how God does not have grandchildren. It is up to the Lord to empower them, but you as parents get to impart it into them. And then think about who the better parent is. It's not me. We ate Pizza Hut for like the fifth (laughs) night in a row last night. Okay, any questions, or does anyone need a towel after that fire hose of Samuel? Anything? Bueller? Okay. Does anyone want to talk about another cool woman in the Bible? Because there's so many of them. We can start a Women of the Bible Club. Next week we're going to talk about Hagar. That's even better. And that's more inclusive. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. really good. Thank you. I have a question. Yes. Um, just... Yeah, she goes on and has more children. Like, so she does get what she wanted, but the Lord called her the same way that the Lord called to give Isaac up. You know, like we learned that she has um, five or six more children. And then she's mentioned um, one more time, I think, in the Psalms, but that's it. Well, but doesn't she get to see Samuel once a year? 
She does. She goes up with these like little linen robes and drops them off like she's going to camp and then leaves again. But um, and it's just so sweet to think that like her three-year-old, she is making this linen. Like he's still so much on her mind. It's not like out of sight, out of mind. And she makes these linens and takes them up to him. And it's like this little three-year-old in priestly robes, like how much he probably would not fit into that, but how much the Lord's going to bring him into that. Like he's going to grow on himself. So I like that. Um, Ginger, did you have a question? No. Oh, okay. it, it, I think it was, it got into the last, just that the last verse of chapter two is, you know, then Elkanah rose up and went back. It doesn't say anything mm-hmm. about her. You know, it's like her long prayer and then it. Yeah. But um, I was just curious about that. Yeah. Carol. Something well. well I haven't checked out the theology of it, but I've been uh-huh. thinking about this, and I think it's correct. You know, in the Old Testament, it's the Levites that serve. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, now why? And I thought, where did he come from? He's from Ephraim. Yeah. And then I got to thinking, well, God has said, everyone that opens the womb, uh-huh. you know, you are to give to God. He says, but I will, you know, but then I think he kind of took the Levites as a substitute Uh for the firstborn, but she literally gave her firstborn. And that's why I was thinking perhaps he could serve because he would offer sacrifices and other things. But I've always, you know, I kind of wanted to check that out with Mark or something like that. Well, he, um, she gives, he takes the Nazarite vow, which means like no razor will touch their head, will not drink alcohol. Samson tried to do that, (laughs) didn't quite work, and kind of, you know, John the Baptist is the later version of that, but they get to volunteer, like, you know, volunteer to go into that service. Levites aren't allowed to own land, do anything. They're truly dependent on the church and what the church does for them, and here he is voluntarily going into that service as well. So he gets, he's not a Levite by birth, but he takes it on by vow, which is like us because we're the Gentiles, but we get the God of Israel, and it's all welcome into the kingdom. Okay. Y'all need to go home and take a nap. <laughs> that one. If your kids let you. Okay. Um, let me pray really quickly. Um, Lord, we just thank you so much for your servant, Hannah. We thank you for her faithfulness and during such silent times. Um, we know you're a God that hears us, knows us, loves us, and that you are a God that is coming for us. Lord, we thank you for revealing to us your son, Jesus Christ, that through him we are covered in his blood and will sit with you in eternity, feasting and enjoying life. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.